The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. When we hear this, we should inquire in light of the yogis' three jobs that I spoke about the other night. We should inquire, what is the right view to take of the defilements? What is the most skillful way to understand these visitors to the mind? Secondly, how can we develop awareness of them? And the third yogi job is how can we sustain the continuity of attention to them? So what is the right view to take of these things called the defilements that cause us to suffer? Defilements, we might say, are the unconscious habitual reactions unskillful mental states that arise or are conditioned by objects not being known. When we don't know what's happening in the present moment clearly, reactive habits of mind that are unskillful arise. These defilements are feelings, moods, thoughts, states of mind, beliefs that are all rooted in either aversion, attachment, or delusion, or some combination of them. But one thing about the defilements, they're always rooted in restlessness, meaning the mind is just restlessly agitated and kind of ruminating. Every defilement is, comes from this root of restless, agitated thinking. And they're always accompanied by ignorance or delusion. Every defilement has some degree of ignorance or delusion. Now, ignorance is the not knowing of the mind, the mind that is just unaware of something. Delusion, on the other hand, is being aware of something, but understanding it wrongly. So when we are, or when ignorance arises in the mind, it takes awareness itself to overcome ignorance. But when delusion arises in the mind, it takes insight or wisdom to overcome. Delusion is the tendency of the mind to attribute value, or meaning, or purpose, 
to something beyond its basic characteristic. It's to see something and ascribe a value to it that it doesn't inherently have. It's like telling ourselves a story about something and believing the something, the story we tell, rather than what we actually see of it. categories of defilements are attachment, which is some form of clinging, grasping, holding on, yearning, anticipating, hoping for, expecting, wishing, that has at its root a belief that this thing this pleasant thing is somehow valuable or necessary, essential to us, to our happiness. And the opposite of that is some form of aversion, some form of striking out rage, anger, hatred, or some form of internalized aversion, frustration, disappointment, depression, self-pity, despair or some form of pushing away, just whinging, whining, complaining, feeling critical or irritated, impatient even. Forms of just, you know, you just want to kind of, you can see the mind doing that. Just, because there's some misunderstanding, some implied valuing of that thing as being you know, harmful to us, or detrimental to us, or not, not beneficial. And so we have this withdrawing or striking out energy in relation to it. These defilements are no strangers to the mind. We, we, we know them maybe better than any other part of us. In fact, they're so frequent visitors to the mind, they're so habitual that we don't pay any attention to them anymore. We just take them for granted as being part of us, part of who we are. You know, impatience has arisen in my mind, my heart, so often. You don't have to convince me. I'm just an impatient person. But that's not true. It is always and only just a temporary visitor to the mind. It is never going to become an essential piece of the mind, the heart, of any one of us, none of them. But because they're so habitual and they arise so frequently, we identify with them as me, as mine, as who I am, so that when this naturally arising conditioned aversion of being irritated by something and complaining about it to ourselves, to another. When it arises, we feel totally justified. 
complaining. Like there really is a good reason to complain. All the while missing how much suffering we are experiencing by complaining. You know, we don't complain about things that we don't feel justified complaining about. You know, we complain because we're justified. They really are irritating, or that behavior, or that person, or whatever. And so we feel vindicated in, feel, in, in being irritated. But who's suffering? If we look at the situation, it's the complaining, it's the complainer, if you will, that's identified with complaining, the suffers. Because we're identified, or we become identified, or we take ownership of these states of mind, we don't really take the opportunity to live our life fully. We cut ourselves off. We limit what it is of life's experiences that we're willing to take on, that we're willing to meet, that we're willing to imbibe, really, in our life. When fear arises in the mind, fear, a form of aversion, what don't you do? Well, for sure, if, you, if you're looking at your mind, you have seen how much our lives are conditioned by and proscribed by fear. We don't do a lot out of fear. Fear of the future, fear of each other, fear of ourselves, fear of our own feelings, fear of failure, fear of, fear of shame, fear of humiliation. There's all kinds of things that we don't even get near out of fear. Fear is a visitor to the mind. And when we fear experience in life, we live a very proscribed, limited field of human experience. And so these, these defilements are not just immediately causing us suffering, but in every moment, they're just cutting us off from so much of what life has to offer. Maybe the most noticeable effect of the defilements is when in practice here to be aware we see how effective they are in obstructing our practice. So often we, we come on retreat, we sit down, whether it's a day, a week, or a minute of practice, and some defilement arises in the mind, and we just don't continue with practice. We get entangled in a story, and we spend our time figuring out the story, or embellishing the story elaborating the story, all the while strengthening this defilement, strengthening this hindrance. Maybe the most effective way that the, the defilement or hindrance is uh, accomplished
accomplishes that is through doubt. Doubt is a hindrance. When it arises in the mind, very difficult to see. Very difficult to see doubt because it sounds so reasonable. It sounds so useful. How do I know this really works? How do we know we're doing it right? How do we know that the Buddha ever did anything worth emulating? How do we know that the teacher that we're listening to, that's encouraging us, that's guiding us, knows what they're talking about? Because we don't have answers to those questions until we walk the path successfully for ourselves. We don't really know. We're just taking it on some level of faith and some, some degree of experience. And so we don't know. And when those questions arise in our mind in the course of practice, we believe them. We engage that story. We engage that story of doubt. And to the extent that we do, we stop practice. Totally effective at pulling the plug on our aspiration, our intention, our energy, even our understanding. And because they hinder progress in meditation, they prevent us from finding the true benefit of the Buddha's teaching. Real peace. So when we understand this about the defilements, we can see that they really are significant players in the life of the mind. However, the defilements are not wrong. They're not accidental. Nobody is foisting them off on you. They arise due to their own causes and conditions, and they are part of the Dharma. They are, when they arise, they are the way it is. The Dharma is the way it is. So when the defilements arise, that's the way it is. So they're part of the Dharma. And because they are the effect of, or the lawful effect of causes and conditions, there's no mistake. They don't come accidentally. They come because of the conditions being there to give rise to it. But they can be known with awareness. And they can be understood by wisdom. And so therefore, they really are not an obstacle to our practice because they can be known by awareness, and they can be understood by wisdom. So therefore, they can be the opportunity in practice for liberation. How is that possible? When an object arises, when an experience arises, as it does in each moment. Something, conditions are coming together every moment. Something is arising in the mind as this moment's experience. Either 
the mind reacts with a deeply conditioned habit of unskillful state of mind, or we use that object and our aspiration to awaken to develop awareness, and awareness observing, paying attention to, ultimately shows us the nature of what we're looking at. And when we understand the nature of something, we develop wisdom. I spoke about that last night, how just through observing phenomena, observing the unfolding of the mind, the unfolding of experience in the body, if we observe long enough, carefully enough, precisely enough, it will give rise to understanding in the mind. We don't have to do anything more with it except to understand what it is that's being observed. And because there are visitors to the mind that cause us to suffer, they are unwholesome states of mind that give rise or condition unpleasant results. And we experience the unpleasantness of defilements as body pains, aches, tension, disagreeableness in the mind, tension in the mind, stress in the mind, reactivity in the mind. And when we don't recognize these results of the defilements, it only strengthens the defilements. But when we recognize the defilements, it weakens them. Because any time that we can be mindfully aware of the defilement, it doesn't exert its control over us. There's awareness there. And awareness always has some level of understanding. We're not deluded. And if we're not deluded, or if delusion is not arising in the mind, the defilement doesn't have deep roots, basically. It might be just on the surface, nearby, about to arise. But if there's awareness, it won't take hold. It can't. Defilements either obscure the object, meaning we don't even know what's going on. And we all have ample evidence of this. When the mind wanders away on some train of thought, we don't even know what's happening. We don't know that we've wandered away. We don't know where the mind is. We don't know what it's thinking about. We don't know that we, whether we want to think about that or not. We don't even know what we think about what we're thinking about. We don't know how we feel about it. We don't know where we are. We don't know if we're sitting, we're standing, we're awake, we're asleep. We don't know anything. There's a total oblivion in the, because there's no recognition. Now, isn't that amazing? I mean, really, we're trying to pay attention. And still, the mind goes, slips through the crack into this space, and we're lost. When we cease to, for all practical purposes, we cease to exist. How is that possible? I mean, you really have to ask yourself, what is going on? And yet we've all had that experience. 
dozens of times in every sitting. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit shameful, really. But <laughs> and yet, when awareness or when mindfulness arises again, as it will, at some point, sometimes within seconds, sometimes it takes a few minutes, sometimes it's a long time, you know, several minutes before awareness arises again, calls us back to the present moment from fantasy land somewhere. And in a split second, we can see the whole train of thought without even trying. Sometimes we just see the whole train of thought we've just been lost in. And we can recognize it. At the time it was happening, we didn't see it, didn't know it, didn't know anything about it. And yet, in a split second, the whole thing can be recognized, reconstituted, if you will, or recognized with this other capacity of the mind called mindfulness. That's the power of ignorance. Ignorance just makes us ignore what is going on. We could say that this ignorance obscures the object. We don't see the present moment at all. Or sometimes we see the object, we see the experience, but we don't understand it correctly. Or we say that it obscures the nature of the object, distorting our understanding of what it is we're experiencing. When aversion arises in the mind, the capacity of aversion, the uniqueness of aversion, or the, the essential nature of aversion when it arises in the mind is it causes us to see only the unpleasant aspect of what we're looking at. You can't see anything good about what you're averse to. Because when aversion is there, that's what we see. We see the unpleasant aspect of it. Or when attachment arises in the mind, its unique capacity is to cause us to see only the pleasant aspect of something, which has arisen. That's, that's just what attachment does. That's why we can fall in love. You, know, you see someone when attachment is in the mind, and you look at them and say, hey, you're perfect. Cool. Okay. You know, and we, as long as attachment is in the mind, we don't see anything wrong with it. They're like, fantastic. The answer to all of our problems, our dreams, whatever it is that we think we're looking for. And then, while they're just minding their own business, our mind changes. And instead of attachment arising in the mind, aversion arises in our mind. And we look at the same person doing the same thing, and we say, what happened to you? <laughs> What'd you do? You've changed. What, you've become unbearable. It's our mind that's causing us to believe that, to see that, to misunderstand that object. Now, this is a general, uh, this is a general example we've all lived with <laughs> many times. We think our story about the person or our story about
about the object is true. We don't see the influence of the defilement that the defilement exerts on the mind. We don't see it. We believe our stories. Not recognizing that it is this momentary visitor to the mind that is spinning the story that we're grabbing onto or that we're averse to. It's as if the defilements enchant the mind, cast a spell over the mind, so that the mind lives in this fantasy dreamlike story about what's going on. When in fact it is actually a long-running hallucination. It is. I mean, you really can. Awareness, mindful awareness, is a searchlight casting for faults in the clouds of delusion. Okay. Bummer. <laughs> we got them. We got to deal with them. They visit the mind. There is, of course, as you know, a spectrum of defilements. They come in all sizes, shapes, flavors, colors, however you want to uh, imagine them. They are, they have an infinite variety of appearances. But because they are mental phenomena, they occur in the mind. When they occur in the mind, they condition experience in the body. When we're angry and the mind is really in a rage, you know, the mind gets hot, the head gets tight, the fists clench, the body sweats, there's tension in the shoulders, clench the jaw all because of this state of mind. But we should be careful not to interpret physical sensations or unpleasant physical sensations as always being defilements. Sometimes we just eat something wrong that's gonna create a lot of tension or discomfort in the belly and it may have nothing to do with anger jealousy or fear. It has to do with bad food. So we don't want to interpret or misinterpret physical sensations as being always reflective of the mind. But sometimes they are. But notice instead the mind and then look to see if there is a physical correlate or a physical sensation conditioned by that state of mind as a way of beginning to recognize and work with them. So this is the this has been the the way to understand the defilements skillfully so that we can begin to work with them in a skillful way to arouse wholesome states of mind in opposition to their being unwholesome skill unwholesome or unskillful states of mind. So the second yogi job is to develop awareness of them. Meaning how do how do we work? The, the, how do we work with these defilements, these states of mind? First, this is not an insignificant first step. We need to understand, we need to hear even, that these states of mind 
that they're the source of our suffering we need to we need the information that says pay attention to these because they cause you to suffer before we start down a practice we live with our mind as if this is the way it has to be fixed in these grooves of reactivity reactive conditioning that we learn from early childhood and it's not easy as I'm sure you're all well aware it's not easy to disassemble early childhood conditioning it's not and yet that's what the Buddha's pointing to that's what the Buddha's practice and teachings are pointing to is the mind is malleable the mind is trainable is not fixed it's not rigid it's not solid and if with care and skill and attention we attend to these states of mind we can eliminate them that is the whole goal as I mentioned previously that's the whole goal of all Dharma practice is to gradually replace unskillful pain causing states of mind with skillful states of mind. That's why we do it. So to to get the information that there are these states of mind that cause us suffering helps us to begin to recognize them in our own experience. Now took me a long time. I heard talks about the hindrances, you know, the five famous hindrances. And I believed them. I believed that there were hindrances, you know, and I knew that they were there in some sense. But I never saw them. I never really took, I won't say ownership of them, but really took responsibility. Because it's very difficult to recognize them. We hear about them, they're happening, and yet we often don't recognize them. The clarity of our perception is so weak, and our perception is under the influence of our conditioning, that the story we tell ourselves through these defilements is more believable than our Dharma investment to try to uproot them. We believe the story of the defilements. We've been taught how and when and why to be angry, to be jealous, to be fearful, to be critical, to be to complain. We've been taught that. And we believe the story. And so the story arises in our mind. We buy into the story and we don't see state of mind. Part of the value and capacity of mindfulness that I mentioned previously is that mindfulness comes with what's called in the Pali language ujjukata. Ujjukata is the truthfulness of the mind, if you will, the straightness of the mind. The mind
mind seeing things simply as they are without any story any spin and when the momentum of mindfulness is strong when the mindfulness is more continuous this manifests as the inability to deceive ourselves you can no longer believe the story you're telling yourself about this experience because the straightness of the mind cuts through the story now you see things as they truly are because the power of awareness won't let you spin a deluded story about this experience I mentioned last night that that's why it's so important to really develop the continuity of awareness even if what you are aware of is the most ordinary, superficial, mundane, repetitive, familiar experiences of life. Because every moment of mindfulness is a moment without defilements. And that means that awareness, mindfulness itself, is getting stronger and straighter, less susceptible to the influence of the stories we've learned and tell ourselves. So when we can begin to recognize these states of mind, these unskillful, unwholesome states of mind, we can then begin to, to deal with them. If we can't uh, yet recognize them, we can't do anything about them. Yeah. We're totally under their influence. And so recognizing them is the first step, if you will, in beginning to tame them. And the way to know that you recognize the defilements is to name them. Just name them. It takes a lot of courage to, to name, name the defilements that appear in the mind because it's a busy job. <laughs> There's a lot of them. And they're just arising frequently. And it can be very uh, frustrating, very disappointing, very... It's not a very self, well, it's not quite right. It is a very self-affirming, <laughs> but it doesn't encourage us in practice to just be naming moment after moment the defilements that we see. Because we can really get overwhelmed and think that it's a hopeless cause. But in fact, that is the first step in, in beginning to work with them. The second step is to relax. We're not going to get rid of, we're not going to understand, we're not going to deal with these defilements skillfully if we just get upset, tense, tight, frustrated, disappointed by them. So relax. Meaning, be willing to acknowledge what you actually see. Don't take it as a personal judgment that, you know, you are an angry person, you are a a jealous person, you are a fearful person. That's really believing it. That's really buying into it. It's just re remind yourself of the right view. It's just a momentary visitor to the mind. It has arisen due to its own causes and conditions. It's not yours. It's not who you are. You don't have to believe that particular story. But you do have to see it. So relax. As Saito Utejaniya said, the mind is not yours are responsible for it. The things that arise in the mind arise due to
causes and conditions that you don't have control over. But once they do arise in the mind, then you have to do something with them. You have to, you have to respond in a skillful way to them or they take over. One of the thing, one way to look at the defilements is to, is to understand what gives rise to this defilement. What are the conditions that are in place whenever this defilement rises? We don't need to think about it. We just need to pay close enough attention that we see, oh, when this happens, sleepiness soon follows. Oh, when that happens, irritation, anger, complaining soon follows. Just to give you um, a direction to look. Wrong attention or unwise attention is condition for the arising of all the founders. We're not paying attention carefully enough, giving rise to the potential for defilement to arise. So we need to learn how to pay attention skillfully, or sometimes the energy is weak. Our commitment to being here, facing this present moment, recognizing this moment, is weak. Just kind of mm, not quite committed to practicing. And if we're not quite committed to practicing, you can be sure the defilements are having a field day. And it really feels uh, it's torturous, as you know. And sometimes our energy is weak. We just you know, find it difficult to sustain the energy from wake up till bedtime. It just is really difficult. So it's important to, to recognize the conditions that, that contribute to and give rise to these states of mind. So to recognize them, to relax, be willing to acknowledge them, and then to exercise some restraint. Because so often our first reaction to recognizes, recognizing a defilement is to try to get rid of it. I've got to get rid of it. I gotta get rid of the sleepiness. I gotta get rid of this anger. I gotta get rid of this fear. I gotta get rid of this restlessness. And that's just acting it out. You know, we act out with aversion to aversion. We act out with resistance to any of them. And that is just not skillful. So exercising restraint means that we don't act them out. But sometimes we have to exercise restraint by reflecting, and here's a place in practice that is beneficial to think skillfully about the situation. And here we are, faced with the situation. Think about it. What is a skillful way to work with this? Remind yourself, oh, here it is. Now I'm facing sleepiness. Now I'm facing, you know, restlessness or doubt. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't... I want, to, I want to get out of here. Okay, think about it now. How are you going to deal with this? And here's a good place to skillfully think in a way that supports your practice. Reminding yourself, oh, this is, this is a defilement. Because it has arisen due to causes and conditions, I've got to deal with it. 
it is a temporary visitor to mind. The goal is not to get rid of it. The goal is to understand it. All of these reflections, thinking, are skillful because they encourage you to have a right relationship to this unskillful, defiled state of mind. So you can think all you want. Nobody ever said thinking is not good in practice. Some thinking is not, but some thinking is. So this is a time when you can think. And then to, to reframe your understanding, reframe your misunderstanding. So often, even though we teachers haven't said it, so often we think, we assume that because these defilements obscure and hinder our practice, we got to get rid of them in order to practice effectively. Doesn't that make sense? It does. Even I can almost believe that. You know? But actually, that's wrong understanding. Because when the defilements arise, this is the very place to practice awareness. It's the very place. We don't wait till the defilements are gone, till we're finally rested to then practice. We don't wait till we're finally done with our restless wandering mind to then practice. We don't wait till our doubt is finally over. We've read enough books to finally overcome our doubt to, to then practice. This state of mind, these states of mind themselves, are the very experience to practice with. Now, how can you do that? You're doubting. How can you be? A, how can you practice with doubt? Well, recognize it. As soon as you recognize and are aware of doubt, you're practicing. Again, when you're lost in the story of your doubt, not practicing. Unskillful states of mind arise. But as soon as you have the courage, the knowledge, the inspiration, the aspiration to, to deal with them, to, to be responsible for them, then you're practicing. But one thing about the defilements, they are always unpleasant. They're always unpleasant. And we so, let's face it, we so fear unpleasantness, we would rather do anything but experience it. We would rather keep suffering than turn to face, feel, recognize, know, experience unpleasantness. That's why I say, as those of you who've been here before have heard endlessly, comfort is not a goal worthy of your efforts. That is not the direction that practice is going to, effective practice is going to take you. Because we are going to have to deal with the defilements. They are unpleasant. We're going to have to learn how to willingly face and experience unpleasantness. Unpleasantness in the body, it's really unpleasant. We don't like it. But we have to find a way to encourage ourselves, knowing that the value of understanding the defilements outweighs the discomfort of a feeling. So this is another, another place to encourage yourself with thought, just recognizing this is really unpleasant. You know, restlessness. You know, the mind is just restless. The body is restless. You're just agitated. You just, 
You want to be anywhere but here. You want to get out of your skin. You want to get out of the room. You don't want to pay attention. It's just so, it's not like it's excruciatingly painful. It's just really, really unpleasant. It takes tremendous, well, uh, encouragement. You have to encourage yourself to be willing to feel this unpleasantness. Has any one of us successfully avoided unpleasantness throughout our life? Ridiculous. We don't. We can't. So we haven't been successful in avoiding unpleasantness. Why don't we just welcome it? It doesn't last. We know that. Nothing lasts. And yet we fear the unpleasantness. Fear itself is another defilement. So just by reflecting on the nature of the defilements, what we know about the defilements, that they are unpleasant, that we do need to confront them, we do need to grok them, we need to taste them so that we can understand them, it can encourage you to, to, to open, open to the defilements. Asayato Tejaniya says, try to recognize the defilements are simply defilements. They're not your defilement. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you only increase their strength. And he goes on to say, the wandering mind is not the problem. It's your attitude that it should not be wandering that is the problem. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis often make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good, pleasant experience, rather than being willing and trying to work with the unpleasantness of the defilements. Did you come here on retreat? Fully committed to nine days of working openly, honestly, full-frontedly with the unpleasantness of the defilements. Well, we came hoping that maybe we're going to have something else <laughs> for our experience, and yet we all, we all get to face the unpleasantness of the defilements. So when we can recognize them, when we can relax and just accept, acknowledge, oh, this is the way it is for now, when we can exercise some restraint, not acting them out, and we can reframe our misunderstanding and actually see that this is the very place to establish awareness, mindfulness, then awareness or mindfulness itself can taste the flavor of the defilement, of the defiled state of mind. And this is necessary so that we get it, so that we really get the flavor of how fear is different than anger, and depression is different than despair, and jealousy is different than envy, because they have different flavors. They may be similar, but they have different flavors. And when we encourage ourselves, can encourage ourselves to taste each of these flavors, we'll see how they differ. We'll be able to recognize them more quickly. The more time we spend with them, the more quickly we'll recognize them. The more we'll know about their wily ways and means to seduce the mind into some story instead of letting awareness do the job of paying attention to them.
So it's awareness, the fifth step of working with the defilements, where we, we can begin to taste and recognize it, the nature of these states of mind. And it's important to, at this point, to, as Saito Utejaniya said, they're not your defilement. It's not my fear. I gotta get rid of my fear, or I gotta understand my fear. Because fear has its own unique flavor, its own unique nature. It does certain things to the mind, has certain effects on the body causes us to see the future or the object of fear in a certain way. It does some, uh, it exerts a certain paralysis on the mind. That's what we want to learn. We want to learn the nature of fear itself. It's not the fear of the dog or the fear of the cat or the fear of the dark or the fear of public speaking or the fear of... What you're afraid of is really not so important. What we're learning with awareness practice is the nature of fear itself. We're learning the nature of desire itself. We're learning about the nature of all forms of aversion themselves. Because the object of our fear, the object of our desire, the object of our aversion is going to change throughout our life. It's going to be all kind from the time you know, you're four years old, two years old, three, one year old. You're going to have different objects to when you get to be 50, 60. Different objects. Same dynamic in the mind, though. That's why it's important to understand that what we're observing is the nature of these states of mind, learning about the nature of them. The particular story of, you know, this person, that cat, that dog, that car, that whatever, that banker, that politician, the story is not important. It's only important in that it, it's there, and it shows you, oh, this is, this, this is the reactive state of mind, and now you can deal with it. Imagine fear arises. You've got tremendous aspiration, intention, energy, wisdom, and you can follow the unfolding of this fear to the very end and you see everything about the nature of fear. You see every wily, tricky way that it seduces the mind into a story, and you don't go there. But now you know the nature of fear. You know every trick in fear's toolbox to seduce you. When you know the nature of fear this well, you will not get caught by anything in a fearful relationship. How can you? You know it. You see it. You, 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 you see it before it happens. You see, these are the conditions that give rise to falling into fear, not going there. Seeing fear through to the very end, even once, carves a new pathway or maps out a new pathway in the mind of how to deal with situations like this. Now the mind has a new path for dealing with what are considered fearful experiences. And if we can bring 
power of interest, our energy, our aspiration, our commitment to bear when fear arises the next time, we can find that path again and again and again and again. And in time, the path of not fearful reaction gets stronger than the conditioning of the fearful reaction. But we need to train the mind. We need to train the mind in forging a new path in the neural connections of the mind of how to respond to these situations. We can do that. We can do that. That's, that's the plasticity of the mind, the malleability of the mind, when we work with it in Dharma practice. If we don't work with it in Dharma practice, the mind appears to be rigid and fixed, locked in, ever to be that way. But it's not. And we can see it, even in a short time of, of practice, that the mind is, is malleable, it's moldable. You can't make it do what you want, but you can train the mind to learn a new way. That's why it takes time. It takes time. We don't, you, don't, you don't see it once and then got it. You see it once, and then you've got the opportunity to see it again, and again, and again. But each time you see it, you strengthen the new way of relating to what were formerly, in this case, fearful experiences, or desirable experiences, or irritating experiences. We now have a new way. And this way is the way of awareness and understanding. The understanding comes when observing these states of mind, we begin to see how they are. We're observing, we're observing, we're watching, we're watching, we're watching. And it dawns on us, oh, this is, this is how I get caught. It's this particular element that seduces the mind every time, or that we fall for, the story in the mind that we fall for every time. And you see it, and then when you see it coming again, you can say, wait a minute, I've been down that path. That's the path of suffering. That's the path of something else that's not freedom, it's not liberation, it's suffering. And we don't go there. That's why it's so important to really understand what it is you're observing. So you need to observe it until you understand it. So when these defiled states of mind arise, let that be your motivation. I want to understand this. I want to understand how this state of mind works. So if it rises dozens of times, all the better. You've got plenty of opportunity to learn although it's unpleasant. Because as you observe, you're acquiring the data that will reveal uh, an understanding, a way of skillfully understanding these. As I mentioned the other night, the mind really wants to be free of suffering. If you can grok into that part of the mind that really wants to stop suffering, you can and the mind will find a way. It'll find a way to understand everything that arises and not suffer with it. But we have to have the courage, we have to have the stamina, we have to have the patience, we have to have the aspiration to meet these 
unskillful states of mind every time they arise. It can be done. We can, we can gradually learn about these states of mind. We can learn about the deeply conditioned reactive patterns of the mind that our, appear to be our personality, who we are. And they can change. And that's the whole purpose of Dharma practice. That's why we read Dharma books. That's why we talk to Dharma teachers. That's why we listen to Dharma talks. That's why we practice the Dharma. Because it's pointing to the truth. They're all pointing to the truth, the way things are. And if we really understood the way things are, we would understand the way the defilements work. And when we understand something deeply, we're no longer enslaved by it. This is the path of freedom. This is the path of liberation. This is the path of, of purification, purifying the mind of these states of mind. The Sayadaw Tejaniya says in conclusion, always remember that it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does the job. And when you are continuously aware, this wisdom will unfold naturally. So let's sit for a moment, let the words settle down. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.